Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Fulhamish podcast, your seminal soundbite on all things Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Tonight, we're going to be looking back at Saturday's clash at the cottage as the Chris Martin derby lacked any real moments from its chief antagonist. But it was another game for Fulham that ends on equal terms, meaning the Whites have the not very enviable title of being the division's draw specialists. But on the podcast tonight are three mates that are anything but stale. I've got the level-headed Ben Jarman. Hello, friends. The man who always has a point, Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And a man who wishes his Sunday League team were draw specialists, <laughs> Farrell Monk. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to count their points tally that high. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Very well, thank you. I say your Sunday League team, they're also mine, but you're the manager, so it's, yeah. it's more fun to take the, the piss out of you for it. True. We've got more, you've got more goals than we do have points. We, do, we do also have a track record of blaming managers for things. <laughs> exactly. And the fact that it's called FC Brentford as well. Deserve some sort of blame. I choose the side, not the name, so blame me for that too. Right, on the show tonight, a full derby rundown, um, a Sheffield United preview as well, and some cottage atmosphere discussion too. But first, must do some three-word reviews from Saturday's game. Secretary Jack is on the buttons. Indeed, uh, I'm going to start with Alistair Winstanley, uh, a common contributor to the three-word reviews, who said encouraging yet frustrating. Uh, FFC Dom said improved encouraging point. Uh, Ivan came through with better all round, so thank you for that one. Ivan Barry. Indeed. Hi, Ivan. And David Brucas, two penalties denied. Indeed. Well, we'll come on to those penalties and plenty more. Just to say, before we get into the Derby reaction, this season Fulhamish is backed by Ladbrokes. And right now, Fulhamish listeners can bet £5, get £20. If you deposit just a fiver, Ladbrokes are going to add another 20 quid to your account. It's as simple as that. Bob's your uncle, Fanny's your aunt. You can follow this offer by getting the link at bets.fulhamish.co.uk. So let's look at Derby. Fulham played out their eighth draw of the season against Derby County at the Cottage. Oliver Norwood's thumping opener, counted out by Matej Vitra's Equaliser <laughs> and uh, Fanny's your aunt. Callas <laughs> <laughs> returned to centre back. Ty Eden and Kearney replaced the suspended Kevin McDonald and Stephen Johansson. Jack, how welcome was a seemingly fully fit Tom Kearney to the starting lineup on Saturday? Well, yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's always good to have your talisman number ten and captain back in the side at full fitness. That's, um, I think, something that we can all we can all agree on. Um, but I, I thought Kearney did all right without being you know, particularly spectacular at the weekend. He didn't really, you know, do do too much. If, if I thought he didn't do anything wrong. But this he, team just seems to make a little <laughs> bit more sense when he's playing. I've got a qualm about Tom Kearney in that he doesn't seem to want to pass the ball to anyone, um, uh, and which I was just a bit confused about. The only person that Tom Kearney seems to want to pass the ball to is Ryan Fredericks. I was just about to say that. Um, it, it's really quite strange. There was a couple of times in the first half, especially when you know we were running through and we were almost breaking at pace and Font made a couple of good runs into the channels and, and Kearney just seems not to want to feed and, we, and instead would sort of check back and wait for support from the wings. And I don't know if that's a, a, a managerial tactic or, or just Kearney not seeming to... You know, or wanting to do it all himself and find the killer pass himself, you know, and wait for that to to happen. But you know, it, it did strike me a couple of times that the ball wasn't released when it perhaps should have been. But yeah, of course, it's good to have Tom Kenny back, and hopefully, you know, now he's back in and back getting match practice with everyone. That might that might improve and that might change. So maybe it's just rust. Um, ben, it had been mm. a pretty horrific October and early November with the Wolves game included for Fulham. There was quite a lot of pressure, not necessarily to get a result on Saturday, but to put in a good performance. And they definitely did put in a performance. It wasn't the perfect game by Fulham, but by any stretch of the imagination. There were mistakes and there was a lack of clinical edge. But man for man performance as a team, it was a lot more improved from what I saw. There are some definitely some encouraging signs and I think a couple of them are the guys that have come through the academy, uh, especially uh, Aidan, who done really, really well throughout the whole of the game. That took um, about three minutes. Yeah, we love the pun. Um, but I think from Fulham, like it says in the free word reviews, there are a lot of positives to take from the game in the fact that the first half we, we took it to Derby and we were unlucky not to be maybe a couple of goals up at half time. But then the same old Fulham appears in the second half and we started slowly and I don't know what it is about the, the club or, or the team or just the management of Slavisa but every time we come out of the second half we always seem to be on the back foot especially if we're 1-0 up at home we always seem to come out and 
try and hold on to a a goal lead and we never look comfortable doing so and it's still same old same old and we've only completed 881 passes into the final third and that's the the 24th and last in the championship and that gives you some indication Is that over the whole season yeah, yeah that's over the whole season and this gives you some some sort of indication of how bad and how toothless we have been in the final third and it Again, we, we didn't look like we were really going to trouble Derby aside from the free kick. Um, Farrell, finally, Ryan Sessegnon given a move out to left wing, but still no Rafa Schwarz at left back. Dennis Adoy was chosen instead. You've just got to assume Slavisa doesn't rate Schwarz. No, and he's he's been named in the starting 11 for, in the PL2 game tonight. He must just not fancy him. I mean, we haven't seen enough of him to make ourselves to actually make a full judgment on him he's obviously quite talented and he's got a lot of value on him but obviously Slavica sees him week in week out maybe they just don't get on maybe he's just not performing in training maybe it's the fact that the ankle injury that he picked up was possibly worse than first feared and the fact that he probably he might be struggling to get over it that could be an indication of why he's not been chosen yet and and it seems to be the case with TC as well that the injury he's picked up is is a little bit more you know, serious than we actually first fought and he's struggling to get over it and maybe it's the same case for Suarez and the easiest thing to do is instead of plunging him back in and risking that re-injury is, is to give him as much game time as possible in PL2. The thing is though it's a bit inconsistent in the sense that Tom Kearney was risked and was kept on sort of playing and Tom Kearney was coming out and even saying I, I've had to sort of ice up my knee for, and not being able to walk for the next few yeah. days and whereas... Swaz, he's actually played full 90 minutes for the PL2. I suppose that's a bit different in terms of, you know... Stature of player. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 importance to the side. Absolutely, I think, absolutely. I think, that's, I think that's got to be it. The other thing is that, that Swaz does keep being vaguely included in matchday squads, and he has been put through a couple of times now. And yeah, we're all calling for his inclusion, you know, in terms of a starting place. But, it, you know, it's not like Slavis is afraid to you know, to put these players and not put them in the squad, as we're seeing with, you know, I'm sure we'll go on to it later, as we're seeing with Molo and Graham, he's just not putting them in the squad. And and, and that's that. He seems to, do, to, he does have Suarez in the squad, which makes me think that there's maybe more to it than just he doesn't rate him that much. Yeah, that's the it. Trust, Dennis Adoy, Dennis yeah. Adoy was probably my man of the match. Well, this is the thing. It doesn't matter so much who replaced Sessegnon at left back. I think we all just cried out for... Rafa Schwarz, because he seemed the obvious natural yeah. replacement. Our main concern with this whole debate that we've been po- talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks is that we want to see Sess at left wing and not at left back. So that finally happened. Mm. Didn't quite click for him, though, on, right. on Saturday. I'm not saying he was terrible, but he did. I don't think it was his best game. He looks a bit overworked. Yeah, he looks a to bit me. Uh, what, overworked slash overwhelmed is, is my general feeling because. He's he had such a great season last year, and, and now it feels like he finally could be feeling the pressure. Um, um, on, no, I, I agree with you there with with Sessegnon. It was his breakthrough year last year, and then all of a sudden, but he didn't actually. He obviously didn't start every single game. He maybe he probably only started half the games mm. he actually a- appeared in, um, and he was exceptional last year. This year he's had a whole summer to mull over that, and now he's actually a first teamer week in week out. And to perform to a consistently good level every week is, you know, something to be admired. You say he's had a whole summer, but he had to go out to the to the World Cup with the under-20s. In the international break, he was also playing for England. For a 17-year-old man to be playing so much football at such a young age mm. and be relied upon as pretty much a first-team regular now for a championship club that's pushing for the Premier League, it's all quite a lot to take in. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That's why, uh, I mean, I completely agree with Ben in terms of his, him being overwhelmed. I I think that he actually, I thought he looked okay on Saturday, especially with Eden in the team. He looked, they looked like they had a bit more of an understanding between each other and and looked like they, they knew what they were coming from. But I really yeah. did think that he, he played better on the wing and he looked like he had more of a license to roam. And with Dennis behind him, you know, it looked, it looked a bit more solid. But yeah, I completely agree. I think that it's a big, it's not necessarily the, the kind of like league, the league obviously hasn't changed. It's like the players he was playing against haven't, you know, necessarily changed. And he was playing in the same competitions he was playing in before for England. So it's not like he's suddenly been bumped up three or four levels. I think it's the weight of expectation on his shoulders. And now everyone's like, oh, Sessegnon's our second best player out of nowhere, you know, out of somewhere. Last year it was, last year we were kind of every time Sessegnon did something good, it was like, oh my God, what a bonus almost. Mm-hmm. Like, whereas now Sessegnon is expected to perform to that level. And I suppose that that must be a massive weight on 
such young shoulders. Speaking of young shoulders, uh, it was Tyree Dunn's debut. Seems solid to me. Um, I don't think he really put a foot wrong. I don't think he did tons to influence the game either but certainly as we were in a predicament K-Mac was suspended after getting five yellow cards and I thought he came in and did admirably I think it was important to remember, to look at the way that the midfield set up and Ollie Norwood kind of dropped into K-Mac's role mm. uh, which which actually I think far suits him. him yeah mm. suits him far more than him and Johansson's role and and Edon basically did the legwork that Johansson did last year and it worked because obviously Tom Kenny likes having someone buzzing around him and swarming. And with Johansson so out of sorts and not necessarily putting in that kind of shift all the time, it, it was nice to see, you know, a trio that really were working for each other. And, and obviously I'm not suggesting that Norwood should replace K-Mac permanently, but I think I prefer him in that kind of role than yeah. I do anywhere else in the midfield. Well, I think it's just the way that Norwood plays. As we spoke about after the Wolves game, he, he really likes to drop off and try and create space for himself so he can pass forward. Whereas in that sort of Johansson role, what we should really be looking for is someone to burst forward into space that seemingly either isn't there or has been vacated for him by TC. And I think that's why Edon was really, really effectual, especially in the, in the first half and um, at periods in the second, was just the fact that he... The people often say being young and having no fear is a cliche, but... I think I think at the weekend it was basically demonstrated well that having no fear probably is something that worked well for Edon. And also I thought De La Torre came on and yeah. also did did a brilliant job. Arguably, yeah. I think actually I was more impressed with De La Torre when he came on than with Eden. He looked really, really bright. He's really Both. good at finding space. Yeah. They're yeah. Really, really good at he he'll look to find the gap and he'll also look to drive into it, which is something that we were really lacking. And I don't know if that's, you know, the way that we were playing with, you know, Rufomp's back to goal almost and trying to play in the wingers because, you know, those forward ones weren't coming off. Mm. But in terms of when Delatore came on, he he really did take that the game to Derby and he did, you know, look to make that space in the middle, which was quite nice. What it meant was that Camera sort of pushed himself wide. Mm. And I don't I, I sort of there was a couple of moments where the ball got fizzed across the box as kind of good work from Delatore in the middle. And I think that if we're gonna do that, we someone's gotta sort of say to Camera, look. Delatore is creating space behind you. He's going to find space for the wingers and they're going to drill it into the box. You need to be on that yeah. sort of six-yard line. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily Camera's fault because obviously he's not... You the, know, play, yeah. the play that, that showed up on the most was when Delatore broke into the box with probably about 10 minutes to go and tried to fizz it across and Keo was standing right on his toes. But Delatore had burst in from the edge of the box and, and got past those holding midfielders and the ones that Derby had deployed, obviously and really got to the byline and we hadn't really done that for the whole game and yeah. that was something that was a massive feature of our game last year and it, I feel like it's it's with TC that we're able to do that because he so effortlessly brings the whole team up because he likes to keep holding the ball and drive into space that's why I like the fact that TC's back even at 80% fitness because he knows how to drive on and bring the whole team up he's got yeah. such an ability to keep hold of the ball TC and mm. I know that we noticed that last season it was just maybe having him back on Saturday made me appreciate that keeps a ball in a way that I haven't seen since Moussa Dembele and mm. it's not for yeah. the same exact attributes yeah, he doesn't do it the same way yeah you're right yeah. and you know he's obviously very uh, one footed but it's the same with Dembele that it doesn't ma it doesn't matter um which way you think he's going to go, he's going to beat you pretty much nine times out of ten. And I think that's a real key to to our team that, yes, we pass it around really, really well and move the ball really well, and sometimes teams do find it difficult to get the ball off us. But actually creating space with our passing is, is a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, taking a rounder player, especially in the centre of the park, is invaluable to teams like us and that's why Moussa Dembele was so successful and is now really successful to, for Spurs Just take it back to Eden for one second mm. in terms of Eden and, and, and the way that he played that kind of Johansson role I just wanted to make sort of a, a slight point in terms of yes I thought that Tyre Eden fulfilled that kind of role admirably um, but it's also interesting to watch him as he's like a different kind of player he doesn't you know, pop up in the gaps in the way that Johansson did last year. He instead, he tries to take the ball into and make the space for himself, mm. which is interesting, but necessarily didn't necessarily work all the time. He sort of often would try and like break into the box and like beat a player rather than waiting for someone else to break the line and, and mm. then pop up in the gap. And I don't know if that's something, you know, that's necessarily just a facet of his game or, but, or something he'll learn along the way. But it, it's just interesting that I think if we are going to play Eden there, and I wouldn't necessarily be against it. I don't think he's necessarily going to be a starter all the time, but 
I wouldn't be against the idea of him playing some more in that role. It's just that we have to, if we're going to do that, we have to not look for someone to pop up in the gaps. We have to therefore like overcrowd around him because the ball then breaks and bobbles rather than looking for the space. I thought he played very much in a similar vein against Middlesbrough last year in the cup. Yeah, and him, mm-hmm. him and De La Torre really took the game to Middlesbrough and showed no fear on that occasion and the same this weekend. I think that anyone that watched that game against Borough in the Cup probably wouldn't have been too surprised when they saw Eden and De La Torre really take it to a team that was established championship players because at that time Middlesbrough have obviously just been promoted and the large bulk of the team they put out that night was the team that were, they got them promoted out of the championship plus a smattering of summer signings such as Victor Fisher um, and a couple more as well from that early Karanka squad so no impressive that night so no reason they can't do it again. Yeah, real um, hope for the future there. Let's come a bit more on to the game. Now, uh, I thought it was quite an even first half, but I'd say that Fulham were the dominant team and deserved their lead at halftime. Derby didn't really threaten our defence too much, apart from a very clumsy header from Thomas Callas that very nearly put in David Nugent for one of the most heart-stopping moments at a Fulham game that I can remember. I've never heard some... There were some real screams uh, in the Hammersmith end at that one. Um... Let's come on to the goal, though. Cracking effort from Norwood for the free kick. At the, at the time, I thought it was a huge clangor from Carson because from my view from the Hammersmith end, it looked like it was straight at him, which it kind of was. It was, yeah. But I, I think you really appreciate on the replays how much that the wall blocked Carson's vision and just how hard he hit it. It's incredible that he got so much power from such a short range. He does absolutely nail it. I still think Carson should do better. Yeah, I, I really I, do. I agree. I, I, it's straight through his hands. As yeah. in, if, if, the, if he gets something to it and it, the power's too much and it goes in, fine. Like, fine. But you've got to be getting something to it. It's, it's, it's literally a hands-above-your-head job. Yeah, I think... It, 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 I reckon if this was a um, Derby County podcast, we'd all be... Uh, you know, crying. crucifying, yeah, Scott crucifying Carson. Scott Carson here. I'm not saying it was great, but I, it wasn't as bad. I thought at the time it was one of the no. howlers. No, they left yeah, all the howlers in the, the, the one. It the actually light. reminds the one it actually reminds me of is when Scott Carson was playing for West Brom, where seven eight years ago, and Simon Davis had a a similar shot, not a free kick, and um, it went pretty much in the same part of the goal, and Scott Carson sort of just put his hand in the wrong place and it just went in. Is this not Villa we're thinking of? Or the maybe Bullard, Villa. The Bullard free, the Bullard not, free kick. Not that one, Because no. that was dead central. When yeah. you actually look back at it... Yeah, that Carl's... was also a goalkeeping error. Yeah. yeah. Everyone yeah. thought at the time, everyone thought at the time, what a great free kick. So basically, with Scott Carson at Craven Cottage, just aim at the centre of the goal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, look up that Simon Davis one. You'll, you'll be surprised how similar it is. Okay. That would be uh, my Home, homework. That's homework for everyone. Yeah, after yeah. the show. Derby equaliser, though, just after the half. Maybe a futile exercise on my behalf here, but who is more to blame? Because Button did put Cess under pressure with that throw, and it was a bit hasty of him to find Cess. But at the end of the day, Cess has got to do better there and not give away the ball. It is a bit David Button's fault, but it's not really David Button's fault. We play... That's the way we play. And for the whole game, people have been screaming at him to get the ball out faster. And ultimately, that's that's the way we play. We like to get the ball out from the back, get it you know, into space, and, and then try and break with it. And if that had been TC, I think he would have kept hold of the ball and we would have you know, turned the ball around, carried it up the pitch and, and looked to attack. So that's cool for it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the right ball to play from David Button. I think it, was, I think it wasn't bad play. <laughs> From Sess or Button, I think it was a good tackle. At the end of the day, the, the yeah, holding midfielder gets a gets across really quickly and gets a toe on it. Tom also, Lawrence does bits with the yeah. ball. There's a lot to do when that ball is lost. That I can't. You can't say, oh, the goal is you know given away when that there is. Tom Lawrence has a lot to do. He, mm. You know, then beats two men, drags a third out of the game, and flicks Vidra in. It's a really good bit of work, but you know that's the kind of caliber you're playing against in in, in Tom Lawrence and. I don't. I, I'm not blaming Cess for the. I wouldn't blame Cess for the goal. You know, excluding. But if you're going to put, if you're going to put the blame at one Fulham player, it, it has to light Ryan Sessegnon's door. Yeah, you're right. There was a lot for Tom Lawrence to do. It was fantastic play. The Fulham defence kind of sat still and watched Vidya make that run through the defence. But as you say, he, he had a lot to do there, and I did think it was a little bit futile. I was more trying to get the point. I didn't really think Button had 
much of a no. case to answer after that. By the way, if you want to see some goalkeeping clangers and you haven't yet, if you Stadium, haven't, oh, Stadium oh, oh, yeah. If you haven't seen Millwall Boy. Sunderland, my word. Speaking of Farrell's Sunday team, there <laughs> is definitely better standards. It's literally like, imagine if you had one of those compilations of goalkeeping howlers at the end of the season. It's just all of them. Every single one <laughs> yeah. is a howler and they get worse and worse and they were all within about five minutes of each other. It's nuts. Nuts. I actually, I had to rewatch it. I had to rewind and go back through them because I just, it was such incredible oh. view and I couldn't just what was the worst one? Did you? Did anyone see the Brentford miss at the weekend? Oh yeah, that was oh. also enjoyable. That, that was, was probably the highlight of the weekend. That actually. was. What's yeah. he doing? What is he doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, whatever problems you think we have, at least there are a few teams in this division that have them um, slightly worse. It does seem at the moment, though, that our lapses in concentration are being punished quite ruthlessly at a at a conversion rate which maybe is a bit unsustainable. Well, yeah, and then luckily unsustainable. I'm just thinking that against Wolves, really, they punished us for set-piece errors when they didn't really create a too much more in that game, Wolves. I'm not saying they couldn't have created much more. And then in that game against Derby, I feel like they punished one of our two big errors. The other one was Dennis Adoyce treading on the ball and then David Nugent not snapping up the one-on-one. Mm, but yeah. it, I don't know why. There just feels a little bit of bad luck about us at the moment. And maybe that's just indicative of the position we're in. They always say that when you're at the bottom, things go against yeah. you. I yeah. think that's that's Fulham the last couple of years. Uh, we've created so many chances and not taken them. And then other teams have created far less chances and scored them. And that's, uh, you know, you think back to lots of games where we've drawn games when we should have won or won by a much greater margin... And it hasn't turned out that way. There does seem to be an inevitability about some of the chances that we give up. And mainly it's just because of overcommittal. Like the, the Dennis Adoye chance, everyone is forward apart from two, the two centre-backs. Like there is... understand the type of football that we're going to play. It, it really does rely on everyone pushing very high up the pitch and trying to stretch areas and, and overcrowd parts of the pitch. But there are times where it is just absolutely haphazard in everyone just flooding forward and there does feel like it's so easy to cut through us at times kamikaze football kamikaze football it's it's funny sorry Jack the amount of times that Carson kicks ball out of hand or Keogh clears up pitch and it's literally Vidra and or Nugent against Callas and Ream there there has to be an an inevitability where we can't keep defending in those situations where it's literally like two on one and we are so exposed to the counter. It happens two, three, maybe four times every single game. And you're not gonna you're not gonna live through that game without conceding a goal if you play that way. It's quite enjoyable to watch, I suppose. Like it's yeah. the only thing. Like you know, I, as 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 you boys know, and, and some of the listeners will also know, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Real Betis at the moment. But and, Betis um, aren't that overcommittal. They are structure. to a point, though, because it's like kamikaze. All the games finish 5-4. No, that's Valencia. <laughs> that's Valencia. It's, it's, Valencia just keep winning. But it's one of those... Betis the black ball of the Premier League whenever it was five years ago. Yeah, no, it's, it's, no. I mean, they're much, they're much, much better <laughs> Don't than that. swear, Farrell. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's not quite that, but there's always major, like, swathes of chances in Betis games. And mm. I, I find it really sort of... Interesting that, that Fulham not necessarily play in a similar way, but but they definitely have a similar kind of philosophy about things that is, you know, when we're going for it, we got to go for it. And if we get punished, then all right, we get punished. But it is one of those things where you see that kind of flood of shirts forward and you're like, we could potentially be in trouble if we lose the ball here. It was oh. a style of football we kind of got away with towards the end of last season when we were just scoring so many goals. Precisely. Yeah. It didn't matter. But at the moment, when we've got statistics like the lowest amount of passes into the final third of the pitch and just not getting anyone on the end of crosses and not being very clinical at all in front of goal or creating really any chances of notes then it's quite a worry that's basically what i'm trying to say it's fine playing kamikaze football if you're scoring goals and cutting through people at will but we're not at the moment Mm. so therefore we can't continue playing kamikaze defense if we're not sort of you know making those kind of inroads in attack and it doesn't make sense and that's why we keep getting punished and we keep drawing games that we should win Mm. Let's come on to the penalties. Um, There were two very dubious decisions uh, from the referee not given um, 
against Fulham in in Derby's favour. I think the main one for me, Cessignon brought down by Tom Lawrence in the box. Now, at the time, I've got to admit, I found it hard to tell whether it was a penalty. And I even tweeted, I said, look, 50-50 from the Hammersmith end, which got quite a few desiree tweets saying, what the hell are you watching? Uh, It was was 100% stonewall. Obviously, now I've seen the replays. I didn't quite have the view of the referee, though, from two yards away. It seems ludicrous when you realise how close the referee was that wasn't given he just takes his leg away it just doesn't seem like any debate to it yeah it's it's scrappy and soft but it's a penalty and truth be told when I saw it first time round I you can't really tell it's such a scramble of legs but then when you watch it back again and considering where the referee is you would expect the referee to to blow his whistle and point at the penalty spot um, considering Sessignon's position where he's clearly in front of the defender and gets none of the ball. Yeah, it's it's a stonewall penalty. I'm I'm with you. I thought on first look from the Hammersmith end, I was like, I'm not sure. Um, but it it is absolutely ludicrous from the referee's perspective. And you know, you can they spent a lot of time analysing the actual the, the direct perspective that the referee has on that, and it, it seems ludicrous that he he can't give that. And you know, there were I, I didn't think the referee actually had particularly bad a game when I walked away from the pitch. Uh, when I walked away from the cottage, uh, and then when I've when I've looked at the replays of of, of these two decisions, uh, I have changed my mind. I was starting to get annoyed with the referee in the final twenty minutes. I felt like he was starting to make worse and worse calls as he went on. I don't know if maybe the penalty put him in a uh, put him in a funny position, but there was another call later in the game, actually not too long after that, uh, the handball against Berdinho from Dennis Adoy's shot. Now, I think that would have been a little bit harsh. But then again, his arm's out. Yeah, his arm's miles out. It's not even... It's one of those ones. I, I think it's different in terms of whether it, it is a penalty and his arm is away from his body. But I think it's more reasonable for the referee not to give that because in real time, it's very difficult to see. Even the commentator thought it hit his head because yeah. he made a little throwaway comment like, oh, that must have hurt his... In fairness, Baird, Baird clutches his head. He does, he yeah. Did, he, he does clutch his head. That's what a tosser. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <That's laughs> Never cheering him on again. That's experience for you, though, isn't it? Yeah. but it, He I also mean, had a good game. 36 at right back. I was, I was impressed. Well, it was, it, look, it's one of those ones, it's a penalty. Like, if, if, you, if, you, if the referee has a VAR, it's a penalty. Uh, this is Italy, my friend. 50-50. I don't think so. If the referee has video, I think that's a penalty. Maybe. It oh. depends. I suppose in that situation, you'd... you'd it depends. His arms, it maybe his depends. arms are out way from Not his body. Not that far. It looks that it's bad. Behind as, his body. Yeah, yeah it, I think it looks that bad because where his hands end, his arm ends up because it strikes because it strikes his arm. Maybe when he's actually sort of turning to try and block it, it's closer to the body than it actually is. When it actually thwacks his, his forearm, <laughs> it then goes away from his body. Yeah, true. It's like a cartoon in here. Thwack! <laughs> <laughs> Zing! Um, just before we finish uh, the Derby game and look forward to Sheffield United, overall, how much more encouraged are you after Saturday's performance? Do you think a win's on, uh, a win's on the card soon? Yeah, sure. Signs of life. Yeah. Signs of life is what it, I think. It's it's amazing how much our ours and um the rest of the Fulham community's expectations have changed in the matter of six weeks where, you know, the performance like that that it was on Saturday was I mean it was an okay performance, but now we're sitting there going, Well, oh, this is much more positive, isn't it? Mm. And all it was was a one all draw at home. Yeah. That'll be a good side though. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, the, ma- yeah. it's the manner in which we got a one all draw at home. Yeah. Based on, the, based on the first half, you'd say, that obviously, it's a really good progression. I don't, know if, I don't know if I feel that much more encouraged about it. I feel encouraged about one or two performances, i.e. Edan, De La Torre and Kearney. Obviously, I feel much better when K-Mac gets back in the side, but inevitably, that means that Norwood's going to be pushed up again. We'll just revert back to type. Wow. This is so sad, isn't it? We'll yeah. see. We'll see Cut what, there. I think we'll, we'll see what happens. Like It's one of those things that obviously K-Mac will return on... Uh, tomorrow night which is good mm. um, and uh, you know I, I currently in the, in the form we're in and the form they're in I can't see us getting a result at Bramwell yeah. Bram Lane well let's come on to Sheffield United in, in just a second segue in just a second uh, before we go into the break I do want to ask uh, something terrible has happened I haven't informed you boys of this what? Someone left us a one-star rating on iTunes. Oh, my goodness. You're joking. Was someone, it Farrell Monk? Someone went on iTunes. I don't know. I don't have an iTunes account, so it wasn't me. And left us a one-star rating. I mean, Did it they does... give us a comment? 
it hasn't affected it too much for the fact that we also have about 75 five-star ratings. Is it from Besotted? I don't know. It could be those boys over there. They, they, they would, I wouldn't put it past Maybe them. Maybe some QPR fans. If I could just do a little call to arms to negate the one-star review that we've horrendously got, and if you are on iTunes and you do use that platform to listen to podcasts, just to give us a five-star rating. You don't even have to leave us any words. Just just give us five stars. But if there are some words that you'd like to give us as well, it really does help us. Did and the one-star rating leave some words? No, he didn't leave any words. So he's a coward. He is a coward. If you're going to give us a one-star rating, say what you think. Yeah. This does happen to football podcasts all the time, though. You do see, like, Spurs podcasts, and then there's always, like, one twat, like, come on, you gooners, with a one-star. <laughs> so, we need to up our game, boys. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go on a Chelsea podcast after this and give them all a one-star rating. So uh, we'll be back with the Sheffield United preview after this. Jack, how do you like your beer? Ideally in multiple quantities. Well, I can do that in multiple quantities and I can give it to you for free thanks to our mates at Beer52. How does eight free craft beers and you pay only the postage and packaging sound to you? It sounds incredible. Free beer all over the gaff. Shout out to Beer52. You can get that right now by using the code FULHAM at Beer52.com. What they'll do is they'll send you a box of beer just like this one we have here. Eight free craft beers straight to your door. All you need to do is use the code FULHAM at Beer52.com. Pay the postage and packaging. It's that simple. You going to do it, Jack? Yes, I am. Let's get on it. Sign up now. Fulham at beer52.com. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James, who are Jack Collins, Ben Jarman and Farrell Monk. Breaking news alert. Jordan Graham's just scored in the PL2 for the under-23s. Start, Start him. him. What emojis is he going to be using tonight? Probably a goal one. <laughs> uh, he was uh, less than happy. A uh, rocket one, maybe. Uh, from his emoji after the game on Saturday because he's not getting in the team and probably won't be getting in the team tomorrow if he's playing for the under-23s tonight. Breaking news, we've actually scored again. Yeah. Oh, right. Adebayo. Adebayo scored. He scored a lot of goals for the PL2 side. Suarez races forwards and passes to Thornsteinson. He's a good player. He whips a ball to top scorer Adebayo at the back. Post leaps up above the defender to nod the ball into the back of the net. Start him tomorrow night. Yeah, man. There we go. Well, tomorrow night is going to be a tough old trip up to Bramall Lane. I find it hard not to be pessimistic about this one. I generally think I'm too optimistic. Like, I'm, I'm every time I do a preview, either for the Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. I'm so predictable. Every time I say, oh, I think Fulham could get a result today. I really think we could get a three-one victory. It's it's the same old. But this one. Tuesday night, up north, physical team, hard on confidence. Uh, even I can't see any signs of belief. Anyone got a reason for me to have any hope? It's going to be a Leon Clark hat-trick, followed by four goals by Kamara. Sheffield United are actually only rated two and a half stars on FIFA 18, so that's reason to be that's optimistic. That's more stars than okay, a Fulhamish yeah. podcast review on <laughs> iTunes. <laughs> That's a reason to be optimistic. I mean, the Blades are doing really well this yeah, they're season. Really good. Yeah. Uh, good win at Burton on Friday night. And you mentioned Leon Clark, but if it isn't him banging in the goals, then it's Billy Sharp. 17 goals between them this season. They've taken their league form from League One. Amazing to remember, they were in League One for five years. Yeah. I put £5 on Billy Sharp to be the division's top scorer at the start of the year. <laughs> Enough cash out, <laughs> cash out. In our Fulhamish preview, one of us, I think it was perhaps Domin- Dominic Betts, says that um, Sheffield United were in with a shout of promotion. Well, fair play to Dom. I hope so he Dom, stuck a, stuck Dom, a right? quid on it. And if it's not Billy Sharp scoring or Leon Clark, it's Clayton Donaldson. And you're mad that the young guy they've got who's David, unbelievable. David Brooks. David he's Brooks. so good. He hasn't actually scored many. I think no, he's no. only scored one goal. But he is bloody good. Yeah, he's really Clay- good. Clayton Donaldson featured on a really, really good Bleacher Report documentary at the start of the year that you should all give a good little com- good company. Give though. a little view to about how transfer deadline day actually works. Oh yeah, it's actually a, a very, very good um, piece of social news. So um very much worth a watch. None of the other Bleacher Report content is worth anything though. No. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> they've got a Consistent young side, six players have played 16 times this season, a lot of them under 30 as well. They lost uh, Paul Coots to injury on Friday night, who's going to be out for the season. Very sad for him, uh, broke his tibia uh, in that game against Burton. I mean, what have Fulham got to do to stop this Sheffield United team? It feels ridiculous that a team last season that was going up to Newcastle and getting 3-1 victories is worried about a team that last season was playing against Scunthorpe and Colchester. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe we should just play the way that other teams play against us. Let's just put 10 men behind the ball and then... Leave camera up front on yeah. his own. Let's Get just do that. Off. 
<laughs> he can get sent off in a couple of minutes and then we'll have 10 players that will be better than 11. We're going to have to weather a storm though, aren't we? Almost like not concede too early because they're going to try and hit us yeah, from of the off. That's what Fulham's going to have to soak up some pressure tomorrow. Yeah, of course they will. And they'll have, Fulham will have to be a bit more careful about um, playing against a side that have two up front and they'll leave two up front mm. as well against our centre-backs. And something that we highlighted earlier against Derby game is that teams now like to to keep their strikers, their wingers or attacking midfielders you know, one-on-one against uh, Callas and Riemann. That's something we're going to have to watch out for and they will take advantage of it yeah. because we're so susceptible to long balls, diagonal balls or direct play. It just undoes us. It's like, you know, it's like that person that complains on FIFA that there's too many, that people put in too many crosses. It's because they don't know how to deal with it. It's like Fulham don't know how to deal with long balls and we don't know how to deal with direct play. That's that's what we should be careful about and we should we should use McDonald in a way that he protects the back four, uh, back two especially, more adequately. Yeah, and if you've actually watched Sheffield United this season, which I have done a few occasions, they are the they are such a direct team, and they hit teams on the counter attack. That game against the, the Steel City derby a few months ago was I mean, it finished four two to United, but it was four counter attack goals, and they were they were super goals. They were really well worked. They were really good. They've just got a really good, quite good squad. Mm. Like it's got to the point where like you know they're all they're, a lot of them are not necessarily homegrown, but like young sort of hungry players who have come through like the ranks and and. You know, and and have brought in the kind of uh, around those you know young experienced players, and with a couple of like big leaders in the middle, that team have uh, have really gelled and are really going on in a way that Fulham just don't seem to be at the moment. It seems to be a happy camp. They seem to all be like particularly united behind the manager. Chris Wilder's a great manager. Yeah, he is a um, good manager, and he he knows exactly what he's doing there. And, and, and you know, and players like Ender Stevens, Jack O'Connell, they're they're all you know young and they're really really up for it, and and they love playing for Sheffield United and. You know, maybe that's you know potentially. I sound a bit yada, but you know, it's maybe that's what we lack in, in terms of they've got that kind of united <laughs> front. If you if you actually look at the team, Fulham's team on Saturday, it is that little bit bit of mix of that. If you actually include Delator, Taya Eden, um, and then you know if you've got Sessignon in the team already, and then you've got the mix of the strong experience in there with McDonald, if McDonald is going to play, and Kearney and uh, and Callas and whatnot then you do have that good mix of experience and youthful exuberance. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think that's what we had last time, last year. And it just seems to me that we lack a bit of the kind of cohesion that we had last year. And, I, I and you know, that's the kind of thing... I've, that's what I meant by that, is you see that in a team like Sheffield United, who obviously are, you know, out there, you know, putting their li- put lives and bodies on the line for each other at, at points. Especially, you know, you've just mentioned the Steel City derby. I remember watching that game and being like, Sheffield United, every time Wednesday come forward... Everyone is back healthy. Everyone is back, you know, behind the ball. And then they break out like a little coiled spring. And it's, you know, it was, it was wonderful to watch at times, especially with the, you know, the stuff that Brooks uh, was pulling off. And and when you when you look at them, they're a team that we expected to be, you know, Dom obviously didn't, but we expected to be there, you know, mid-table this season. I think that very few people would have predicted United to go straight back down. But we expect them to be, you know, mid-table side that Fulham would be expecting to be. Uh, and instead, they're up there, you know, because of because of that kind of desire and work rate. And you know, they, you look at players like Leon Clark, who've been, you know, turned down elsewhere in their careers, and and who are, you know, not seen as massive signings when they came in. And and instead, they, you know, he's firing on all cylinders, you know, knocking in goals left, right, and centre. And it's just that kind of they've worked to the strengths that they have in the way that we are not. Dare I say it that we lack that desire and uh, effort that we now miss with a certain Shawnee Luko. You know, you know, I think especially from our wingers. Well, I think... I'm, I'm thinking that Sonia Luco is missed more and more, especially on the right. I don't think we oh, yeah. have I... anywhere near the incision, and I, I do. I didn't think we'd miss him as much as we did, and I'm happy to eat my words slightly on that. But then again, I thought we had the caliber in our squads to more than make up for his loss. Go, go back through the Fulhamish podcast after archives after you've rated us five stars and you'll come to the episode where we discuss Sonne leaving and all three of us really said that we liked Aluko because firstly you could give him the ball and he'd just run up the pitch and he takes all the pressure off your defence we don't have that outlet anymore We don't, like, Aite doesn't like to do it Cabano doesn't like to do it and Sessegnon hasn't really liked to do it himself either, the only person that's really really taking us up the pitch at any speed and taking the pressure off us is Fredericks, yeah and there's a reason he's got man a match for the last two games in a row. Yeah, he hasn't exactly been groundbreaking, but he's actually like positively tried to influence the game in ways that other players haven't. He's taken the game to people from right back. 
And he burst into the box. He gets up and down quite well. And I think, you know, ever since, like, like going full circle to the point, ever since Aluko has gone, we haven't had someone mm. that takes the ball on their shoulder, like takes responsibility on their shoulders and runs the ball, the ball out of danger or hustles the back for something that's so noticeable is that when you look at the derby game, you just have fun running between the two centre-backs. And the wingers are nowhere to be seen, not even in the same shot. It's an Not interesting nice. one because actually, you know, we criticised Shea Yojo for some of his performances. He does. But actually, he did carry the ball. Yeah. yeah. And, and he didn't necessarily carry the ball into good areas or, mm. you know, he definitely... He, he, <laughs> no, I mean, it's no, I fair right. to say that he, he no, often no, got I, stuck I, in the corner or he tried to beat a man, you know, in the ba- in, by the corner flag and would lose the ball and then the ball would be cleared. But at least we'd be cleared back to our back four, yeah. and then we'd start again. And yeah. Ojo's not the you know the best player we've had this season, but maybe his you know maybe the reason that Slavisa kept picking him on on that right wing when we were all calling for him to drop because he knew that he was a ball carrier, mm. and we lacked one elsewhere. And you know he's back in training now, so hopefully maybe we'll see you know Shea Ojo starting to return to fitness, and that might might click with you know Kearney back, and that might into into form. We were all pleasantly surprised <laughs> by how how much better he was getting uh, throughout those games. We were crit. We did criticise him at the start, certainly. But then we, when he did get injured, we were all a bit like, he did actually perform really well the last couple of games. We are, I think we might miss him. What lineup and formation would you start tomorrow evening against Sheffield United? Would you make too many changes? Obviously, K-Mac's going to come back in. Do you start Font or do you think this might be the kind of game that Abubakar Kamara could have some influence in? Of course I'd start Font. <laughs> it, as in... We haven't really discussed it yet to, to a point, but I'm, and I'm sure we will come on to it because there will be questions about it. But but Font actually didn't have the worst game in the world yesterday uh, on Saturday. I would start the back four that we started with against Derby, back five that we started with against Derby. I'd bring K Mac in probably for Norwood. I'd either bring Johansson in for Edun, or if Johansson isn't fully match fit, that I'd probably stick with him. I don't know if Kenny's going to be able to capable of doing four two games in four days, so. We've got to discuss that. If if Kearney's not fit, I'd maybe give Delatore a run. We're not expecting anything out of this game. Um, I, I think that that's it's it's a sad a sad indictment of affairs. But you know, a lot of us are going into this being like it's a free swing. It's so sad that you say we're not expecting anything out of this game, and I don't know. I don't know if we are not expecting anything out of this game. It's like what you say when you play Manchester United in the cup and you're Halifax Town. It's yeah. really horrible. I think we can get something out of this. Yeah, game. so do I. But um, what I'm saying is that. You know, if, if anyone's going to... What are you going to do? Who are you going to put instead of Kearney if Kearney's injured? Well, Steph Joe. Yeah, but I've just said if Steph Joe's not in the team, then, then Dele, we play Dele, Edan. Dele I wouldn't mind seeing Delatore tomorrow. I thought he was so impressive. And and how about K-Mac, Kearney, Delatore, and Delatore playing the kind of Steph Joe role, bombing up and down the pitch and creating space. I don't know if he gets back because we didn't. He didn't have to get back, so we don't know if he's capable of that kind of you know up and down engine. Yeah. I think I wouldn't like. I wouldn't rush to start Delatore. I thought he was excellent when he came on, and I'd like to see more of him. But I wouldn't rush to start him. But if Kenny's injured, he feels then like we a don't... good impact player. Yeah, but we, if Kenny's injured, we don't have another number ten with Piazza now. It's, it's, he's not supposed to be injured though, Kenny. I mean, uh, Slav's words on Friday were pretty much. He's at full fitness. Fine. Then Kearney stays in the team. So it's so we then we that's <laughs> that's very simple. I think you start Font up front. I, I hope to you know to God that Cabano's back because I'd really yeah, really is. like to see Cabano get you know yeah. get a game here. And I know he's I'd not like been brilliant this fucking, year. I'd like to see him have a good game. Yeah, that would be good. Um, I, I'd start Sessegnon and Cabano. I I thought Aite didn't do too badly, but I think it might be worth you know having changing it up, seeing what else is going on, and 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 having. Cabana's more of a ball carrier than Aite is. And clearly, Molo's getting nowhere near the side, as is Graham. Well, Graham's playing tonight. Is Molo playing tonight in the under-23s? No. So maybe, maybe Molo, Molo's in. Maybe Molo's in the squad. Maybe, he had, like this, maybe that. he had that switch up in mind. I mean, Slavica did switch things up, especially in the midweek games. You know, he'd play like a Sessignon instead of a Malone. Uh, like, the only the only real sta- stable ones were the midfield three and the back two last year. Apart from that, it was kind of switch around as... You know, a little bit here and there. Okay, so I man, still think this. I still think this team is capable, certainly capable of getting a result tomorrow night. Right, I agree. It's just unlikely. I've put a little quiz on the Fulhamish Twitter if you fancy it. I asked uh, if you can name the six teams that, since getting relegated, that we've won a league game away at outside of London. There's six teams that we've won midweek outside of London, Bristol away City. from home. Yeah, that was one of them. Burton Albion. Yeah. Um, anyway, 
you've got you've given them a couple, but go on the Twitter and have a little play if you yeah. get to think of that um, before the uh, end of the podcast. Uh, we've got loads more to get through, so um, we'll move away from Sheffield United, but we will have full reaction to that uh, in podcasts to come. <laughs> yeah, Forrest is one of Forrest. those. Um, there's a little competition right now on our Twitter page. If you fancy winning, it's actually a really cool prize, this. A P302 mug. Now this it is actually quite cool. Is that R2-D2's little brother? No, 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 no. Hey. It's a mug, and it's got the teletext printout of when we beat Juventus 4-1 from that day in 2010. Am I eligible to win this or not? You can. The way you can do it, Ooh, Ben, is you... Employees of, of the Fulhamish podcast are not allowed to enter this event. Retweet the tweet at Fulhamish Pod on our Twitter. You have to be following us and you have to be following our mates at P302 who make this mug. And then you're eligible to win. The deadline is on Sunday. I'm going to make it our pinned tweet. Yes. So you can find it. It will be at the top of the Twitter and I think it's going up at about one o'clock on Tuesday. So make sure you're looking out for that. There we go. Let's come on to some Craven Cottage atmospheres. This is the last thing I just wanted to put in before we do the questions. Now, Farrell found this document earlier. It was quite widely spread from the Fulham Supporters Trust. In the Fulhamish phone-in that we did a, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had a guy called Nathan come on and talk about ways we could improve the atmosphere at Craven Cottage. Anyway, the club gave the Fulham Supporters Trust access to this document basically saying that they've done studies into how to improve the acoustics and the atmosphere at the cottage because us home fans in the Hammersmith end feel like the noise that's made in the home end doesn't really reverberate around the whole stadium and everyone that sits either where Farrell does in the Johnny Haynes or the Riverside stand just ends up saying, no, I just heard the away fans for 90 minutes. A lot of people saying it's because of the open corners. Actually turns out that it might be the distance from the back of the Hammersmith end to the pitch that's contributing more and the fact that the Putney end is a steeper stand that seems to be resulting in the fact that you can hear the away fans simply because the simple fact they're closer to the pitch. I don't know what you thought about the uh, the findings that were put up on the Supporters Trust website earlier, Farrell, but I found them particularly interesting. I'm so pleased that this article has come out and these findings have come out because I've been banging on about it for ages That and, and now we have proof that the open corners anticipating the sound that comes from the fans has been... Um, myth. It's a myth. It's an absolute myth. And I've been trying to sort of bang on about it for ages. We can go back to pods from last year, and I think I had a big rant about it at the end of last year about how it is an absolute myth, and it is all to do with the fact that all of those hardcore fans are so far away from the pitch. And I've I've been up there as well. It sounds amazing. It does sound great up there with those 100 or so fans going at it most of the game. Hello. Uh, <laughs> and Sammy sitting down and telling everyone, be quiet, this is a football game. Um, oh, concert. <laughs> um, that is what I do. But when you do stand up there, you do feel quite far away from the pitch. I mean, it might be something to do with the fact that I sit about six rows from the front in the Johnny Haynes stand, but it is certainly noticeable how much further away from the pitch you actually are. No wonder you can't see anything. What? No. no wonder all your views are wrong. Like, <laughs> how can you see the pitch from six rows down? I have a point about this, which is that if you sit further down the Hammersmith end, you get a worse view. Yeah, but, I'm not. I'm not debating that at all. I, I'm not debating whether who's got a better view or not. So, what the club should do is just redevelop the Hammersmith end. I think they might have some. <laughs> <laughs> that's the solution. We're redeveloping the Hammersmith end to make it taller and smaller. Yeah, and less steep, like the Putney end. Yeah. I suppose. Or the Putney end is bigger. But we built it has Putney, more seeds. We built the Putney end before we built the Hammersmith end. So the club have actively done this. They've made it deeper on purpose. Why? No, I think... I imagine, fo- that there's, I imagine there's structural reasons to the whole thing. I think it was. it's the pretty much same structure. They've just added seats um, and added a new roof when no, they did they the redevelopment. The, the, whole, the whole document says that the, the rise on the Putney end is much higher and the, that's why it's steeper. Yes, yeah, I know, I understand so that. So therefore, why would and it... I do, I, I, you, you notice it when you go to different uh, stadiums. Like, for example, Spurs and Chelsea, they're really, really closed, closed in and the, the, the stands are really, really steep. So even when you're standing at the back of those stands, you're still actually not that far away from the pitch. Whereas... At right at the back of the hammy end, it's you feel um, <laughs> quite a way away. You're pretty much standing on the halfway line. I know what you're saying. You're yeah, about sorry. an extra half away from the pitch again. Yeah, exactly, which is quite far away when you think about it. It's like having, it's like being uh, an Olympic stadium a la West Ham, for example, and you've got a running track around, and you do feel like 
a million miles away from the pitch, and therefore the sound has got much further to travel. And I still, I still think a switch wouldn't be the end of the world, but I know that people have got their own reasons for yeah. for not wanting to do that. But. People wouldn't, people wouldn't want to do that, and people don't want to move closer to the pitch from the back of the end because it's that whole. I want to sit at the back of the bus kind of culture, which I think is really childish and people need to move forward if they want to create an atmosphere. Yeah, but they can't then see. Then they end up with a view like yours. Well, then don't complain about the atmosphere then. Well, I think there's ways to fix this without necessarily being like, we all have to move seats. Yeah, I don't, think that's, I don't think that's the solution. How about we just put a standing section in? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be up for that. Because people would move to a standing section. Not in Johnny Haynes' block DL, though. No, what you'd want is a standing <laughs> section in the middle of the Hammersmith then, so people don't have to move like a million miles further forward and then all the way back. And people would probably move like as they, you know, as a tide of people does, will move to the front of a certain area. Yeah. So if you have a standing section that starts midway up the Hammersmith end, yeah. four and five, and then people will crowd in. And then there's no need to then worry about, you know, people sitting in the back because they will move forward naturally because it will, that's just how it is. Yeah. So that's that's surely the solution. Let's do it. Yeah, let's done. get it sorted. Yeah, God, we'll, we'll sort that People out. People should tomorrow. pay me for this kind of solution. Mm. Could do. I'd employ you, Jack. Uh, right, let's get into some questions, Secretary Jack. What's coming in on the post bag? So to start with, we're going to do a, a quick fire question from our friend Kostas Karajanis, who's from Greece. So he'll say hello to Kostas, everyone. Hi, Kostas. Hi, Kostas. Hello. Hello. Thanks for listening from Greece. He says, um, I have a question. Do you believe Cesc must play at the front or at the back? I know we touched on this earlier in, in depth, so I'm just going to go through it quickly. But one word answers, please. Sammy James. It's quite hard to be one word when I'm trying to say left wing. But yes, uh, left wing, I think he should play. I don't think he is a left back. Sorry, that wasn't one word. Well, were all those words hyphenated? Yeah, all of them in one go. Yeah. So when people answer three-word reviews with loads of words yeah, as one yeah, word. Yeah, it's like as if we won't notice. Yeah. Farrell, left wing or left back? Wing, non-hyphenated. Ben? Left wing. Good, thank you. So thank you for listening, Kostas. We, we appreciate you listening from Greece. Say hi to Karagounis for us. Indeed, indeed. And Staphylidis. So, Nicholas Bowman has sent us an email. He says, Chaps, I hope this makes it to you before you record. I have a track record of being after the fact and before I hear the podcast. And you've already discussed it, so we're doing something right, lads. He says, in light of today's news from West Bromwich Albion, in case you haven't, you know, you're living under a rock, Tony Pulis has been sacked. Has he? Yeah. Um, curious as to your thoughts on sacking Slav and appointing Tony Pulis. He may not play us the, the kind of football we want, but is that worth sacrificing in order to get us back up? I can see Ben Jarman winding up. Ben Jarman, let loose. Absolutely. Positively not. Would you still support Fulham? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, I would. You were expecting right, me to hire, say... hire him now. You were I was all... expecting you to mull it over, but then say no. I wouldn't. No, because... Like, here's a tweet from Rory Smith that I saw this morning. I think it's excellent. It goes... Farewell, Tony Pulis. If God had wanted us to play football on the ground, he would not have invented this guy. <laughs> and to be fair, that's probably true. I think, you know, Pulis plays such horrible, unattractive football. I mean, what we were blessed with last season was football that was pretty, it was structured, it looked so great. And I agree that this year it doesn't look anywhere near the same. Um, we're not getting anywhere near the same results. We do look lethargic and we looked a little bit uh, lost and at sea for a large amount of time. You now imagine that squad that we've assembled over this time trying to play the way that Pulis does and we would not get anywhere near the same amount of results or play anywhere near as good a football as, as we would be playing now or last season. Pulis football is, in my opinion, it's horrible. It's disgusting and it blocks away for managers of a bigger and better ilk with more chance of you know unleashing their potential at a club like West Brom where you know expectations are fairly low you're a mid-table club you could get in there and they have a fairly good backing and you could really make something of the squad they have a lot of people on Twitter are out there saying that West Bromwich Albion have a squad that don't really deserve to be anywhere higher than mid-table that is that it could be a fact but the fact is they've got the likes of Krzyzowiak that are playing quite well they've got Jake Livermore albeit I don't rate Jake Livermore whatsoever, but he's an England international for, for the sake of it. They've got exciting players like Rondon, Matt Phillips. King that James. sort of thing. King, like James McLean. You could do something with that squad. And Pulis has, has banged on and on and on and on about at Crystal Palace, at West Brom, about having no budget. But then West Brom have backed him with the likes of Chadley, with Phillips. Jay Rodriguez, who is Jay, a quality. Jay, Jay Rodriguez, Rodriguez, who's a really quality. good forward. Rondon, who's proven at a good level. And he's done nothing with it but played 
no, 10, 11 men behind the ball, 5-4-1, centre-backs the whole way across the back four. If it's not going to work for West Brom, it won't work for us. He, in my opinion, I don't rate Pulis whatsoever. I don't want him in the game, and I certainly don't want him at football. Uh, Fulham, sorry. Farrell, can I have your I view on the... I don't want him at football. The... Yeah, I don't want him, <laughs> I don't want him in football. Anyway, it's fucking horrible football. I'm going to cross over to Farrell Monk for some historical implications. Well, I... I... Yeah, I mean it's not it's not going to happen anyway. Um, if if you don't if you don't know, and I don't want to talk about it too much, but Tony Pulis has said some unsavoury things um, at a certain event in Gillingham uh, a number of years ago. So there would be huge backlash, and I'm sure that the the powers that be have been informed at the unlikely possibility that Tony Pulis was a, would ever be um, considered. A, considered. Yeah. yeah, I think from a football and an emotional perspective. It just never, ever, ever would happen. And I just can't believe it's even considered. To, if, you, if you put those things aside, I mean, there, is, there are merits to, to Tony Pulis. I, I'm not, I don't have that extreme views that, that Ben Jarman uh, has. I want anyway. to see beautiful football. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I don't want to see horrible football. I, I, understand, I totally understand that. I think that Tony Pulis is basically an extreme Roy Hodgson in the sense that Roy Hodgson plays very simple football pragmatic football pragmatic football it's all about shape consistency everyone knows where they are and there was a lot of there was a lot of play that Fulham did especially in our you know some of our most successful periods in our history when Roy Hodgson was manager that was very it was very direct when we did get the ball it was very simple it was all about it was all about the consistency getting the shape together everyone knew their job and anyone could play in any position and that's what they do at West Brom now and Tony Pulis has adapted his style over time it's not so much long football it's all direct football it's all about ex- exploiting gaps at the back what's the difference between long football and direct football it's the well, same thing exploiting gaps at the back is long football well no it's not it's the, I famous, mean, start... it's the famous one two three isn't it where the ball should only take three touches from goalkeeper yeah, Graham to center Taylor. forward the, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah that's that's direct football but when when Pulis had um peter crouch at stoke all they used to do was just play it as in long over the top kind of football. And that's to what he's doing to pick. Rondon now. He hasn't. He hasn't evolved at all. Well, it has. It has because he was. How was it? It has because he's now got players like Nasser Chandley and Jay Rodriguez playing. Who, but he's using Nasser Chandley as a left wing back when he's already got a left back there. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's I'm not, not evolved. I'm not, it has evolved. Yeah, it's, it's now got, he's now got seven behind the ball. Yeah, yeah. if anything, he's got it's more. It's evolved backwards. I completely understand that football has to have an air of pragmatism. It's why defensive midfielders exist. And yeah. it's why it's why right backs that can could defend like, and I can't think of it like Danny Carvajal, for example, can defend as well as he can go forward. Like that's why players of their ilk exist because there has to be a pragmatism to football, because. Not only individuality won't get you anywhere at football, pragmatism and teamwork gets you in football. Yeah. But Pulis is beyond pragmatic. He's he's entirely negative. It's the same with Sam Allardyce. Like my rant earlier also applies to Sam Allardyce. It also applies to Ian Holloway. It also applies to Warnock. It also applies to applies to anyone that basically doesn't play a four three three where you hold possession to the ball and don't look like Pep Guardiola. <laughs> and don't have Kevin or, De Bruyne on your team. Or Maurizio Sarri. This question has gone on for ages, so I'm going to end it with no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Right. We turned, I turned into Tim Vickery. No, you're right, though. You're right. But both thank you, both right. of our answers were hyphenated the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> right, thank you to Nicholas Bowman. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's, an, it's an important facet that we need to consider that there are other, other ways of winning football matches. Would we say that we'd sacrifice what we have for that kind of, you know, sort of that Dross. football. No, I, I would say no. The answer is no on, on this podcast. But lots of people would be different. And, you know, that's how football is. I've got a question here from Lester, Lester Wyatt, who says, is it time to, is it time to drop Sessegnon completely? His spell at left back has clearly drained of his confidence and he looks nowhere near the player he was last season. There's two ways you go about it. You either drop him and say, okay, Sess, we... We agree that you're overworked, you're slightly overwhelmed, and you know you could probably do with a match or two's break and just come on and be an impact sub. And he takes it in his stride and he says, you know what, yes, I agree, I could do with a little bit of a break, and he comes back and he's revitalised. Well, secondly, he could take it the way in which that he seems is he's actively been dropped because he hasn't been that great, and then it takes an even bigger hit on his confidence. If I was Slavisa, and I think I know what Slavisa would probably do in this situation, he probably would drop him because he's got he's got the the cojones to drop him um and i think he could he could well do it's just a case of him being comfortable with having a replacement for him because as we agreed earlier it might not be suarez and if he's playing left wing 
then I don't think the form of Aite warrants dropping Cess and perhaps Cabana coming back from injury does. Right, uh, last question because we are running on a long pod this week. Um, Marcus Gooding says, do we need to go looking for another striker in January or do we just need to give Font some time? Sam, start with you. I think we do need to have another striker in January. I'm not necessarily saying as a complete replacement for Font, but at the moment it's clearly not working. It's clearly the weak point in the team. I had a thought, and maybe it's ambitious the other day, but Peter Crouch is getting very upset that he's not playing more football at Stoke. Now, I know he isn't the type of football that everyone slash Ben Jarman would want in the squad, but at the end of the day, he comes in for Stoke and he gets some goals. If he's not playing regular Premier League football, I can't see another Premier League club taking him. We, could we do better? Probably. I think, I think we could do a hell of a lot worse. I think there's worse people we could bring in in Crouchy. I, I don't think it's going to happen. But as in like, as in he, he's, not a, he's, not, he's not the kind, the reason that, you know, it didn't necessarily work out for him at Stoke under Pulis is because he's actually not particularly like suited to long ball football. He's actually, <laughs> he's actually weirdly, he's, the actually, irony. he's actually better with his feet than he is with his he head. Um, and, and for that reason, I think maybe it would work. But actually, mostly, I just don't think he's fast enough to keep up with play. And it was part, yeah. of, the, part of the issue with Chris Martin last year. He's not, he's not a hold up player. He's sort of just a person that gets on the end of things. And I, and I do appreciate that we do need that. But without that kind of link between attack and defence, I, th- I, I think we think, struggle. I'm more thinking of someone as a bit of an impact, though, which uh, I guess is what he's doing at Stoke, so why would he want to do it for Fulham? First, firstly, I feel bullied on this podcast today. Um, <laughs> hey. But, um, oh, go so speak I, to I, HR I, about I, it. Yeah, they'll, they'll sort you out. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, I was going to say that I feel like we need a championship-proven striker. Yes. Because we've had two guys that come in from, for, uh, albeit good leagues, um, but they haven't made the impact we wanted them to. Um, but Darryl then, Murphy would have done a job. Yeah, exactly. And then if you if you look at like Derby's team, for example, they've they've got a midfield of Huddleston, uh, Ledley, and Bradley Johnson, and all all of them would be pretty good in a Fulham shirt. I'm not going to lie. And we didn't even look at Ledley when he was a free agent. Well, I believe anyway. Um, and then they've got Vidra up front, and someone of like Vidra's ilk would be really good for us. Someone that just knows how to play. Decent football and can also put a ball in the back of the net. That's who I would like to see coming in January. Yeah, agreed. Um, we did bang on uh, in the close season about bringing in some more championship-proven players and that's pretty much what we were pleased with when Norwood came in. Um, I, I, I think Crouchy would definitely do an excellent job. We Maybe we do. We obviously touched upon pragmatism in football a bit more and maybe this team isn't pragmatic enough. Maybe we don't have, we don't have that striker that is... Just absolutely clinical. He gets a chance, he scores. My mate did say, uh, my mate that I went to the game with on Saturday did say the other C word, which uh, is Cameron. Jeff Cameron. I don't think he's going to get us goals. (laughs) Cameron Burgess. He scored at the weekend. He did. There we go. There's the answer, Jack. Cameron Burgess. Okay, fair enough. Well, personally, I think that I'm going to make this point because I've been waiting to make it all all episode is that I didn't think Font had that bad a game on uh, on Saturday and I I watched him run the channels time and time and time again and not be fed by Tom Kearney when he was, you know, clearly making runs and then everyone was like, oh, Font didn't get anywhere near the ball and I was like, well... Font hasn't been given the ball, so I don't know where he can get anywhere near. I don't think Font is perfect. I think he has a lot, you know, that he needs to improve on. I think he thinks he has too much time when he has the ball, which is a shade of being in the Portuguese league. But I think he's a technically gifted player who knows how to play football and could thrive as part of this squad if we started using him correctly. And I think that... When you know when you're seeing him making those runs time and time again and not being fed, and he gets frustrated, and then people are like, "Why isn't he in the box?" And I'm like, "Well, he's made the run so many times that this time he's like, you know, what, I'm not going to make it." And I'm like, sort of like, well, you know, I don't necessarily blame him. I think if we need to find some cohesion between our uh, our team in the in the final third quickly, mm. and if that means starting with a settled you know front four with Kenny behind Font and two wingers who we know what we're going to do with, and just working that time and time and time and time again on the training field until we know what we're doing then I don't mind that because camera offers a second option. Yeah. I don't, I'm not saying we don't need another striker in January. I think we could do with one. What I'm saying is that I think we need to work out what we're doing because no one knows what they're doing up front at the moment and we don't know who's playing where. Unfortunately, Slav doesn't do that with the front. Not uh, Forgetting about Kearney, the front three of the wingers and the striker. If you look at last season, if you look at the experience... Slav changed those front three pretty much week in, week out. We never knew, apart from Aluko actually... The other two was switched week, you know, every week 
Okay, but Chris Martin was a proven championship player, so he knew what the, he was knew what he was doing. In yeah. terms of funds, moved leagues, moved places, and, and and now needs to you know make, be made to feel like people know what he's doing and know what that he's he knows that for what his wingers and his CAM is going to do in order that he can put himself in the right positions to be in. And I think that that is that's the clear here, not necessarily buying someone else in. <laughs> um, it is time to end this week's podcast. We've overrun a little bit, but I hope you've enjoyed this extra little bumper show. We just need a title for today's podcast. So, Secretary Jack, your final task and duty for today. What is the title of the podcast? Signs of Life. Signs of Life. Is that a song? No, that's the rhythm of life. This oh, okay. It's just Signs of Life. It sounds like it could be an album. Signs of the Times. Oh, yeah. Signs by, of Life. By that wondrous musician, Harry Styles. That's a really good song. Fair enough. Uh, right, we'll be back. I actually don't know what we're doing for our next podcast. We're definitely going to be back this time next week on the Monday after the Millwall game. I don't know if we're going to be able to squeeze in another podcast in between the Sheffield United and Millwall games. Uh, discussions will be had very, very soon. But almost definitely, we will be back uh, next Monday after the Millwall game with all the reaction from that game and hopefully uh, a little bite-sized one from the Sheffield United game too. So to Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. Ben Jarman, thank you very much. Thanks, Sammy. And Farrell Monk, thank you very much. Cheerio, Sammy. We'll see you soon. Bye bye. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Sarah. And we're the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, where we've built a community around grace-filled political conversations. And we wanted to share the words of our listeners because they understand best what we do. Susan told us, Many times I've used your words when my own have failed, opening doors that allow for discussion rather than debate. Amber says we encourage her to be more involved, to be a better citizen, and to be part of her community. Nicole said, Listening to you two process with one another is the only way for me to become unstuck. With the impending election on the horizon, join us and our amazing community of listeners at Pantsuit Politics as we prepare to vote, process the election, and prioritize our values and each other. Make sure you participate in our democracy by listening to Pantsuit Politics and, of course, exercising your right to vote. ACAST, A-cast, A-cast, A-cast recommends. recommends.